The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're a speaking God. You communicate yourself to us. You want us to know you, who you are and what you've done. Um, And you want to speak to us even right now, in this moment. For everyone here, Lord, we didn't just get here independently. It's part of your plan and your purpose for us that we're here right now. And you want to speak to us. So open our ears. Open our hearts, open our eyes to hear from you, the God who's made us, the God who's done everything necessary to save us and make us right with you and help us as we see our identity from this word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're taking a break in our study of 1 Corinthians. I wanted to ask this question to you this morning. Who are we as we meet together today? Who are we? You could look at that from so many different angles. People could study the, uh, the ethnicities or the, the economic situations or our pasts, where we came from. Um, we could look at our habits and how we live everyday life, how we spend our money. Some could say, well, it's a, it's a super small church. Um, it's a humble church. You could say there's not tons of resources or the fanciest equipment. Um, And if we were honest, we'd all admit we're not the most perfect people. We're flawed, broken in many ways. Who are we? And we're tempted, aren't we, every day to identify ourselves using non-ultimate things like what do people think about us? It has a huge impact on how we see ourselves or how much status we feel like we have in comparison to this or that or how we look. or how old we are, or how successful we think we've been. Not only that, for, for those of you who, let me look, look at it, you made it to church this morning. How many of you think that's hard sometimes just to get here? You made it to church. For people like us, we made it today. Even when it comes to the trend of our culture, the, the view on us is rather negative. We're probably the ones considered backward and behind the times in today's world for believing what we believe. In fact, culture as a trend is rejecting what we do. Uh, One evidence of this would be a book called Churchless that the Barna Group wrote, studying Americans and church. And uh, Barna gives you four major groups in that book. Again, this is about how Americans go to church. A bunch, of course, are actively church. They they go regularly. Of course, it's not saying anything about what the church is like. It's just, are they going to church? Then there's another group that uh, is minimally churched, minimally churched, and they call them the CEOs. That's funny. Um, That's Christmas, Easter only. (laughs) No offense if you're that person. Hey, it's not Christmas or Easter, so you're obviously not that person. Okay. Then there's the purely unchurched. That's interesting. Those are people who have never been. You realize that's only 10% of the population. Only 10% of the population have never been to church. But you know what the fastest growing group is? And it's one-third of the population. It's the de-church. They used to go, but they don't anymore. De-church, that's the trend. So people are, they've been to church and they're saying, no thanks. 
I'm not into that anymore. It's not important anymore. It has no relevance anymore. Now, of course, you could spend hours in books discussing why that is. That's not my purpose this morning. It's just the question of, in a day and an age when everything's moving away from church is important, we already are wondering who we are. We have identity issues already. We need to ask again and again, okay, who are we as we meet this morning? Who are we? Are we the losers? Are we the, uh, the dinosaurs of the culture who won't let go of our ancient traditionalism? Who are we? Well, to answer that question, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. And here the Apostle Peter is writing kind of a broad letter to a whole group of churches in Asia. And this, this group of Christians, these groups, they are struggling most likely and they're suffering. They're being persecuted. In fact, they're enduring persecution that you and I, we wouldn't even understand. We've never experienced. But in verse 4 of chapter 2, Peter admits they've been rejected by men. Rejected. They're not respected by their culture, not appreciated by their culture. They're strangers, they're aliens, they're even persecuted. Rejected. And it is hard to be a rejected minority. Always pressures and tensions to be like, enough of this. Is this even worth the suffering? Is this worth what I'm enduring? So there's the tension there. Yeah, you've been rejected by men. And yet, in this passage, he won't stop emphasizing to them the glory and the beauty of who they are. He emphasizes it again and again. This is who you are. This is who you are. And so we want to be encouraged this morning with five things from this passage. Number one, we're going to be reminded of our identity. That's part of why we meet together as Christians, because we need to get reminded constantly of who we are. Every day, outside these walls, everyone's telling you a bunch of other reasons why you should think differently about yourself. What you, should, what you should chase after, what you should love. We've got to be reminded. Remind us of our identity. Number two, grow in that identity. Pursue it. Number three, rely on that identity when times are tough. Number four, appreciate the honor of who we are, of our identity. And five, live it out. Okay? So reminded of our identity, grow in our identity, rely on our identity, appreciate our identity, live out our identity. So first, let's be reminded. And for that, I want to just hit reverse a little bit as far as looking in this letter and go back to chapter 1, just one little verse there. Look at chapter 1, verse 23. Peter writes, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So what has happened to these people? Verse 23, since you have been what? Born again. You've been born a second time. A new birth. A new life. A new identity. A new start. Everything's clean. Everything's different. It's fresh. It's unique. It's new. You've been born again. You have a new identity. We forget that. It's new every morning. It's new all the time. New and who We are in Christ. You've been born again. You have a new identity. Second thing to see is it's undefeatable. It's undefeatable. We live on the, we're we're standing on the shoulders of 2,000 years of church history. Some of it's ugly. A lot of it's beautiful. 
But we live in a, in a day where at least we remember Christianity as having success. It's, it's transformed cultures. It's, it's uh, had a huge impact on the nations. If you say to someone, I'm a Christian, they're not like, what is that? Okay? It has achieved a certain kind of historical success. We have scholars. We have heroes. We have a story behind us. Imagine being... These Christians in first century Asia, what do you believe? We're Christians. What? Jesus? Who? Small little group. Persecuted little group. They won't call Caesar as Lord, for instance. Persecuted. And Peter says to them, you're undefeatable. Look at this, verse 23. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. So you have this little group in Asia, persecuted, weak, made fun of, ostracized, and yet Peter says, you'll never die. You can't lose. It's it's forever. This new identity you have, it's forever. No one can take it from you. They can say what they want to say. They can do what they want to do. They can't get who you are. It's undefeatable. The world and its systems, they rise, they fall, they pass away. You won't. You will rise and live forever. Undefeatable. Isn't that amazing? Grab hold of that. Grab hold of it. You have a new identity. It's undefeatable. How'd you get it? It's through the living and abiding word of God. As Peter says in verse 25, this word is the good news that was preached to you. So when we say word of God, we could mean a lot of different things. Most of the time we mean the Bible, right? And that is a, it's a fine way to use the phrase, the word of God. Here, Peter, yeah, he means the Bible, but he means kind of, I like to view it as the, uh, the tip of the spear of the Bible. What is the good news that was preached to these people that gave them a new identity from the Bible? The tip of the spear of the Bible, the sharp part that really makes the difference the good news, the gospel. Of course, it's the person and the work of Jesus. Jesus, of course, is himself the ultimate word. He's the ultimate communication of God. You want to know what God is like, what God is doing? Where should you look? To whom should you listen? Jesus. And this living message, this eternal message, is who Jesus is and what he's done. He's the son of God. He's the promised king he's the messiah he lived a perfect life for you he did it right he did what we couldn't do always obeying god living in righteousness he died on the cross in your place for you to take upon himself the wrath of god that you and i deserve for our rebellion he did it for you he rose victoriously for you to give you new life eternal life in god and eternal life it isn't just lasting forever because how many of you want to live in a nursing home forever Now, at some point, you're like, let me die, (laughs) right? Eternal is not just duration. It's quality. It's God's quality of life forever. And it's ours by faith in Jesus Christ, believing the word, trusting the word. Now, maybe you feel like sometimes it's difficult that it's by faith. Because part of faith is, I was just talking to somebody the other day, She pointed at her purse and she said, I can see this. I can't see what you're telling me to believe in. That's a good point, right? 
But faith isn't just blind, put a blindfold on and jump and we hope our myths are true. Is that faith? No, of course not. There's evidence to believe what we believe. Imagine what Peter could have told this church about what he saw of Jesus. Imagine what he could have told this church about what happened in his life. Imagine what he could have taught them from the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfilled all these promises. Tons of evidence. Faith is less like a a magical, oh, I hope so, just believe. And it's more a, somebody spoke to me and I trust them. I trust them. How do you get this new identity that's undefeatable, that lasts forever, God's eternal life? Wasn't it really nice that you don't have to go live the perfect life to have this? Any of you still clinging to the, um, you know, if we ask the question, how do you know you're going to get to heaven if you died tonight? Any of you still clinging to the, I'm a good person? Please, please don't do that. Because by God's standard, right? By your own standard. By God's standard. No, 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 we can't do that. And yet, everything out there in the world, I think every other religion is saying, do stuff to earn an identity. It's not Christianity. Christianity said everything has been done to earn you an identity. Jesus did it. So what do you got to do? Trust him. Believe it. It's not who you are or what you've done in the past or, or what. It, just trust him, and that's it. That's it. That's all it takes. Anybody in this room want that identity, you can have it. Freely given. Trust Jesus It's ours by faith in who Jesus is and what he's done. You have a new identity. Awesome. But we can't just leave it there and who would want to. Peter is saying in verse 1 of chapter 2, grow in your identity. So you see that word in verse 1? So, where does that come from? You have have a new identity. Cool, what do I do now? Okay, so this is what you do. Let's get practical. Verse 1. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Malice, an enmity towards others, a wanting to get them kind of vengeful, attacking. Do you ever have maliciousness in your words to other people, about other people? Deceit, we know what that is. Lying, do you ever lie to calm the storms, make yourself look better, improve your situation? Deceit. Hypocrisy. Oh, we say we believe this. Do the other. Envy. Look what that person has. I deserve that. I want it. I want it now. I I need it now to be happy. I must have it. Envy. Slander. Ooh, the things we say about people. What should we do with all of those things? Put them away. Get rid of them. And that doesn't mean like put it away in your basement. (laughs) Put it away for a while. You know, it's Sunday morning. Let's put it away for an hour and a half. (laughs) We'll get it out later. No, that's not what it means, put it away. Put it away means make it into a bonfire and let it burn to ash. Be done with it. Put it away. Why? He doesn't say, if you put this away, God will like you. He says, you're already more loved than you could ever know. That's why you should put it away. It doesn't fit with who you are. It doesn't fit with your identity. Put away malice because you're so loved, undeservedly, by God through Jesus. Put away deceit because God never lies. He's never lied to you. He always tells you the truth. Be like him. You don't need to protect your fake identities with lies anymore. You have a new identity in Christ. Tell the truth. Hypocrisy. Jesus, oh, we're saved by his integrity. 
He really did it. He lived it out. He did what he was, said he would do. Let's be like him. Have integrity all the way through in every aspect of our lives. Envy, envy, envy. Look what you have in Christ. Look who you are in Christ. Look at, be thankful for what you have. Look what he's given you. And be, I guess, submissive to what he hasn't given you. Does he have the right? It's not bad to want good things that God has given. It's not bad to pursue them. But don't be envious. Don't be covetous. Be content in what you have in Christ. You have everything. All the things of this world, are, they'll turn to dust. You have the ultimate. No envy and no slander. Does Jesus speak well of you when he intercedes for you to the Father? Does he say, oh, I'm sick of them. Light them on fire. Light them up. Or does he say, I, I live for him, I died for him, I rose for him, work everything for their good. He speaks well of you, even though you don't deserve it. How should we speak of others? Put that stuff away. It doesn't fit with who you are. Instead, verse 2, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into salvation. Wow, this passage is so relevant for me this week. Newborn infants, this thing has to eat like every, every two hours. And if you, if you don't feed him, he's going to let you know. Right? You hear the little squawk. Ah! You got to feed him. He wants that milk. He needs that milk. How's he going to grow without that milk? That milk is what makes him grow. He's got to eat constantly. He's hungry. And he's not, he's not ashamed to be like, he, he hasn't pulled the, excuse me, I don't want to bother you. I know you're busy. I realize I've got siblings, you know. But would you mind when you get around to it, could you feed me? He hasn't done that yet. You know what he does when he wants to eat? He yells at us. Now. In a way, we're supposed to be like him. We're supposed to be like him. We should be hungry for God's word. You guys, it's not just a history lesson. Properly interpreted, yeah, that takes some work. That takes some thinking. But properly interpreted, it's a letter to you from your father for every day, for every moment. And it's how you grow. You have this new identity. Don't just sit it on the shelf. Want to grow in your identity and do that, first of all, by being in the Word, longing for the Word. Wouldn't it be different if Christians were like, two hours, got to eat. Okay, that's impractical. Maybe you couldn't do that at work. But what if we had the attitude, the passion? I got to get in God's Word. I want to hear it again. I want to trust it again. I want to learn from it again. That's how you grow. Grow into salvation. If you've tasted that the Lord is good, the idea is, oh, I love God's beautiful. There's nobody like Him. Now I want more of Him. So I'm going to grow in this identity. I've tasted he's good. I want more. I can't stop. Long for the milk of the word. And as you do that, look at verse 4. As you come to him, so as we come together, as we come to his word, we grow. Look at what Peter calls us in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone. It's a funny image. Um, did you know Peter has another name in the New Testament? Anybody remember what it is? A little Bible trivia. Simon, right? And then Cephas too. Good. And what did Jesus call him? Peter, right? And Petros, it means a little rock, which is probably a joke because Peter wasn't very stable or consistent. So Peter's like, well, you're still the rock, right? Which is why we know God loves rock and roll because he's... Okay? And so now Peter, who's named the little rock, what does he just name all of us? 
you're just like me. Rock and roll, church. Little, little rocks, living stones. Anybody? Living stones. Well, what do, you, what do you do with a stone in the old days? Take one stone, you put it on another, and you put it on another, and you put it on another. And before you know it, you've made, you've made a house. And so as we grow, we're living stones rejected by men, okay? This is hard for us as Americans because we are used to having cultural respect. And every study is showing that that cultural respect is diminishing. We are going to have less and less cultural respect. We're used to being at least a little bit respected by men. But you need to realize that's not, that's not the way it goes throughout history. As those who claim Jesus and claim, who Jesus what, claim what Jesus says, more and more we're going to be despised by men. Do you have the skin for it? Are you ready? To be loving, winsome, gentle, and unashamed all at the same time while being despised? Are you ready? This is normal for Christians. Despised by men, but in the sight of God. This is what you've got to hold on to when you're despised by men. In the sight of God, what? Look at these words with me. What are they? In the sight of God, chosen and precious. Take these personally. Go ahead and take them personally. Let yourself feel them. Chosen. Anybody having a flashback to your elementary school kickball team? And, uh, and nobody chose you. You were the last one picked. And you shed a solitary tear, you know. You, you wanted to be a part. You wanted to be chosen. Boy, all through our lives we experience rejection. And it hurts. Rejected by men is no fun. But think of God and think of who he is. He's awesome. He's holy. He's fantastic. He's righteous. And then imagine him saying to you, I choose you. I want you. And then saying to you, and you're precious to me. Now get this right. Don't think... He chose you because you're so awesome and he couldn't live without you. I don't want to give you the backhanded compliment, but I have to, right? It's deadly and dangerous for us to think, well, why are you a Christian and someone else isn't? And you want to be like, because I'm smarter. Because I'm spiritually enlightened. Because I knew the way, okay? False, wrong, lie. You weren't chosen based on you're deserving of it. You were chosen based on God's grace, the overflow of his goodness. He said, I want you, based on no other reason than his grace, chosen. And maybe that humbles us because we realize we can't earn it, but it also gives us stability because if I can't earn it, I can't lose it. You see? You're safe, chosen, and precious in the sight of God. And you, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. What's a spiritual house? Temple, right? We have all the, the images of the Old Testament temple fulfilled in the people who trust in Jesus. You're built into the temple. And look, each one of us, uh, living stones being built up into a spiritual house to be a, a priesthood. I've got a priestess and a priest and a priestess and a priest. 
this whole room full of a priesthood. Wow, representing God to people, to one another, to the world, representing the people to God, his name on us. A holy priesthood, and what do we do? Well, we're offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The sacrifice isn't a cow anymore. Sacrifice isn't a, a pigeon anymore. What's the sacrifice? What's the spiritual sacrifice? Do you know? It's anything you're doing out of love for God, for the glory of God. When you want to please Him, Paul says we aim to please Him. When you want to please God in what you're thinking and what you're doing and how you're treating other people, how you're handling your body, your money, everything, when you want to please Him, you're doing it for Him. That's a sacrifice. And he loves it. It's acceptable to God. Now, sometimes we say, don't we, that our righteousness is like uh, filthy rags when it comes to God. We say that. And it, obviously, in a, in a manner of speaking, that's true. But that manner of speaking is, if you try to make yourself right with God by your good deeds, so that's what's going to justify you, save you, if you try to do that, filthy rags, gross, not going to work. But because we emphasize that, and I guess we should, we sometimes maybe forget the other side, which is, how does God feel about your spiritual sacrifices through Jesus Christ in this verse? They're acceptable. And acceptable here means more than just, okay. It means, yeah, beautiful, delicious, excellent, good job. In other words, in Christ, when you want to please God, when you live to obey him, he says, this is great. I love it. He loves it that you're here today and you wanted to hear his word. He loves it that you, that you want to please him. But you see our identity here that we're growing into, don't we? We're growing into, as we come together under his word, we're growing into a temple. Priests offering sacrifices, pleasing to God. This is who we are. Do you see your identity in Christ? Grow in it. Become that temple more and more together. Third one, rely on the source of your identity. Look at verses 6 to 8. Peter says, For it stands in Scripture, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. You can imagine that little church in Asia being like, Really? Can this really be true of us? Is this really ours? And Peter says, Yeah, the Bible says so. This is God's promise from the beginning. Over and over again, God promises to build this new house with this new cornerstone. Everything that's built on this cornerstone is part of that new house. And who is the cornerstone, of course? Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. You build on him, you're a part of the house. If you don't build on him, that's that's a different house. Build on Jesus, you're a part of the house. And look at the promise. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone. Now, interesting, what did he say about Christians in verse 4? As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, what? Chosen and precious. Now look at verse 6. Look at what he says of Jesus. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion in stone, a cornerstone, what? Chosen and precious. We're chosen and precious because we are in Christ, built on Christ. And then look at the promise, last part of verse 6. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You ever trusted somebody and had that backfire on you? Yeah. Sometimes people, we feel ashamed. Boy, I shouldn't have trusted that person. You won't feel that way if you trust Jesus. It's a promise. Now, will you doubt sometimes? Will you struggle? Will you suffer sometimes? Sure. 
But in the end, will you be put to shame for trusting in Jesus? Or will you be like, yeah, that was worth it and more? Okay? The reason you say that is because in a time of tension or a time of suffering, you're like, I don't know. And so Peter's saying, keep your feet planted right here on this rock. It won't let you down. You won't be put to shame in the end. Keep going. Hold fast. You won't be put to shame. Keep those feet planted on the firm foundation of Jesus. Rely on the source of that identity. You can feel the tension because there's the other side of the coin. Verse 7, Peter says, This honors for you who believe, but for those who don't believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is divisive. Jesus is divisive. You can say you believe in God if you keep it personal. God, vague, spiritual God, nobody cares. You say Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose and will come again. People care. It's divisive. Jesus actually said in one of the Gospels, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. The Prince of Peace brings a sword. Because a lot of people don't like him. And this is going to be hard for us. Stay, keep your feet planted on him anyway. Stay there anyway. Rely on who he is. Look, God, don't be insecure, right? They're going to stumble and fall, and there's, God's even sovereign over that. People, people aren't going to like Jesus, they're not going to like you. It's okay, don't be insecure. He's still the cornerstone. Rely, hold fast. It'll seem like they win, it'll seem like they have the power, but the tables will be turned when Jesus comes back. So Peter is saying, you have this new identity by faith in Jesus Christ. Grow in your identity. Rely on the source of that identity, even in troubled times. Keep those feet planted on who Jesus is. Number four, appreciate the honor of who you are and what you get to do. Look at verses 9 to 10. But you, again, stay with me. Who's the you? The, the qualification to be in this group is you trust in Jesus. So if that's you, then that's you. You, chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. What's Peter trying to do? Isn't he trying to pump you up on who you are together? To have you appreciate it, to have it encourage you, to hold you together. Look at these words. Uh, by the, this, is, this is echoing what Moses said to the people of Israel. And now P- Peter says, it's you, Gentiles, because you're in Christ. You're chosen race, so you're this whole new tribe. And the thing that defines you is God says, I want you. You're chosen. You're loved. You're a royal priesthood. So you get to represent the king of all the earth in what you do. Everyday life, when you're living for his pleasure, representing him to the world, you're praying for people, representing them to him, you have this title, royal priesthood. What could, what could be grander than that? You're a holy nation. So look at this. We have this nation. We have this culture. What's our culture? Holiness. We're set apart to be like God. His character in our lives. A people for his own possession. Doesn't have this, that has the idea of you're set apart and you're precious. He wants you. Loves to have you. Look at who you are. Appreciate this identity. What an honor. And look at this job description. That. That you may what? Verse 9. 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. This is one of my favorite ideas in the Bible. Um, I remember reading some author complaining about how God always wanted to be praised. Have you ever wondered about that? In the Psalms, praise me, praise me, praise me, praise me, praise me. Even here, praise me. Okay. Now, when you meet human beings who live like that, praise me, praise me, praise me, praise me. You're like, no, no, no. And those are the people we slander, right? <laughs> that dude always wants you to praise him. I can't stand him. Okay. And so the writer of this article was saying, well, if we don't like people who always want to be praised, why would we like God who always wants to be praised? But as we are prone to do, he made a faulty assumption. And his faulty assumption was that God is the same as we are. <laughs> Which, if you think about that for very long, no, he's not. The reason it's so stupid if I want you to praise me, praise me, praise me, is because I'm not worthy of your praise like that. I don't deserve it. That's a game. That's a lie. But what did we sing this morning? Worthy is the lamb who was slain. When God said, praise me, praise me, he's actually being loving. Because... Even though we forget this, what you need the most, the thing that will make you the happiest, the thing that will satisfy you the most, the only thing that can ultimately satisfy you is himself. And so when he says, praise me, he's saying, why are you so into all these cheap counterfeits out there? I want to give you the best. And really, as C.S. Lewis said, that's the height of joy. It's the height of joy. What did we do when our little baby was born? took a lot of pictures and then what did I do with those pictures post them on Facebook and send them to all my friends why what was I doing I'd seen beauty and I was praising it and what did you join me in oh he's beautiful you saw beauty and you praise it we love to do that whether it's sports or music or art or vacation you go to the Grand Canyon what do you do oh it's beautiful and it's even better if you can say that to somebody else. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Yes, it is. What do we get to do in this verse? We get to see ultimate beauty, the source of beauty himself. We get to see Jesus Christ. And we get to go, oh yeah, that's the best. And then we get to Proclaim it. Hey guys, have you seen what's really beautiful? Try God on for size. The source of all life. The source of every material blessing, but also the only hope of having the things we love the most, like love, justice, goodness, righteousness. It's God. It's his beauty. Do you see who we are? Do you see the honor of this identity? Royal priesthood, chosen race, holy nation, a people for his own possession so that we can see him and proclaim him. What else would you want to do? This is the best. It's the top. And it's for all of us, no matter what your job is, no matter what your story is, your talent level on this or that or the other thing. It's for every single one of you. It's yours. It's mine. Because we belong to Jesus. And of course, the height of his beauty, verse 10. Once you were not a people. Again, we don't want to be like, oh, we're God's people because we're better than everyone else. Eh, right? No. What have we received? In verse 10. Mercy, that's why. The height of his beauty is his grace for sinners. I wasn't, 
I was lost, and now he sought me out, and he brought me in by his mercy, by his kindness, and given me this identity. Appreciate the honor of your identity. So we have an identity in Christ. We want to grow in that identity. We want to rely on that identity. We want to appreciate that identity. Last one, number five, verses 11 to 12. Live it out. Verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Can we just pause here for a second and think about the, the tension in this sentence? What was said earlier about our identity? Well, we're chosen, we're precious, we're royal priests and priestesses. Epic stuff, right? And now what did he say to us? You're also sojourners and exiles. Those aren't the rich, famous, comfortable people, especially in the ancient world. Refugee, downtrodden, alone. So which one is it? Are you a royal priesthood or are you soldiers and exiles? Yeah, both. And he also said you're a temple, right? And you're going to proclaim God's excellencies. But he also admits a certain uh, a fight we have, really. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from what? Passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Do you see the tension on who we are and what we have and what we love versus the other side of who we are and our fight? We're a royal priesthood, but like Israel was exiled to Babylon, we're, we're not home yet. Really important to remember, go ahead and say this after me at the risk of being cheesy. This is not my home. You ready? One, two, three. This is not my home. Why do you live like it is? Me too. We're just here for a while. Don't put all your eggs in this basket. It's really good to know the more mature of us because they're like, it goes fast. How many of you have said that to me? It goes fast. And I'm, I'm going to be 39 this summer. It goes, it, go, it goes too fast. It's going too fast. It's, it's fading away. It's not, it's not your home. It's never meant to be everything to you. You are a sojourner and you're in exile and sometimes you're despised by men. Don't forget, it's not your home. If you try to make this the happiest place on earth, this is your Disney for all your life, you will be discouraged, you will be broken down, you'll be brought low. God gives us good things. Yes, he does. Amen. It's not going to last. Don't, put, don't make this everything. You have a different home. The new heavens, the new earth. We're with the Lord forever. And not only that, don't just think, hey, I'm a royal priesthood. Everything I think is right, and all my feelings are true and good. Our culture has this ethic, right? Moving away from God as transcendent, the new source for right and wrong is self, which means the way I feel, what I want. That's my identity. That's my justice. That's my righteousness. As Christians, we know that to be stupid. <laughs> Go ahead and play the trivia game. What if you did everything you felt like doing? Where would you be? I would be in jail. There are some desires that you have, passions of the flesh, that want to kill you, according to this verse. 
You see, as Christians, we live in the tension of, in the theological phrases, you ready? This is why, this is why you come here. It's why you pay the big bucks, right? Inaugurated eschatology. What? Inaugurated eschatology. Eschatology, ology, study of, right? Eschaton, the end. So study of the end, eschatology. Inaugurated, it started, but you don't have it yet. You know how it is with the, when the next president takes his oath, or her oath, as the case may be? It will be, pre, it will be the president. He or she will be the president. And yet, won't be in office doing the job yet. So have the title but not fully experiencing it yet. Does that make sense? Inaugurated, but not sitting in the desk chair. Isn't that what it's like to be a Christian? Who are you? I'm a child of God. I'm a royal priest. I'm also a sojourner and alien. Do you have your inheritance in heaven? Yes, I have eternal life. Do you have it fully? No. No. Do you have new desires that God is working in you to make you like Jesus? Yeah. Are you fighting to be like him? Yeah. Do you have that all the time, or do you sometimes have some other desires that wage war against your soul? Yeah, I have that too. You're in this tension already, but not yet. Know that so it'll help you. It'll help you when you have those desires. You, you, you don't have to be like the culture and be like, well, if I felt it, it must be good. It's true for me. No, come on. But at the same time, don't kill yourself because of these bad desires. Don't think, oh, it's hopeless for me. Look, I still have these. No, it's, it's normal. It's normal. So what do we do when we feel these fleshly desires that wage war against our soul? I urge you as sojourners and, alien, and exiles to abstain. Magical truth, you don't have to do or think everything you feel like. And the trumpets play. You don't have to. You don't have to say it because you thought of saying it. You don't have to follow it because it seemed tempting to you in the moment. What do you need to remember? Point one. What do you have? You have an identity. Put aside those things that don't fit your identity. And when you face those temptations, wait, long for the word so that you can grow in your identity. And when the tension is hot, Rely on the source of that identity, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. In fact, appreciate your identity, who you are. Appreciate it again and what you get to do. Proclaim his excellencies and then live it out. And as we do this, verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Now, it's interesting because pretty much everybody he's writing to probably is a Gentile. But they're not Gentiles anymore, ultimately. Who are they now in Peter's mind? Well, you're more than just your ethnicity. You're God's people. And so now live in a way so that even when they speak against you as evildoers, sometimes you're going to do what's right and the world's still going to call it evil. Even when they speak against you as evildoers, live in a way that's honorable, dignified. Live in a way that looks like Jesus. Why? So that they can see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Sometimes there won't be vindication until visitation. What? Try your best to live the Christian life. Some people will demean it. Some people will hate it. That's probably coming more and more in our culture. And you won't be vindicated. You won't be shown to be right until visitation. Who's going to visit? Jesus will visit. Oh, my goodness. 
And then they, whoever they are, who have disdained you and persecuted you, they'll say, oh yeah, we saw Jesus in them. We admit it. They'll bring God glory on that day. Folks, we have to wait till that day for most everything we want. So keep going. Live out your, in the tension, I guess to summarize this last point, in the tension, live out your identity for God's glory. Live it out every moment, every day. You know, this was my first sermon text here at Fountain of Life nearly 11 years ago. I think I stood down there, I wore a suit, which now has holes in it, and I had a ponytail. How do you like that? A lot of you remember that? Oh my goodness. I just want to clap for those of you who've been here since then. Unbelievable. You know, my preaching professor used to say, it's amazing that preaching professors are still Christians because they have to hear so many bad sermons. I feel that way about you a little bit, okay? But I said that this was true for us back then, 11 years ago. And we've seen it. It is. There's been struggles. There's been difficulties. But it has been true, and it has happened in us. It's real. Think of our mission that comes out of this passage, really. Grounded in the gospel, feet planted on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Oh, that every one of us found our identity in him. Gather to grow in the gospel, right? Long for the milk of the word and be built together as his temple. Gather to grow in the gospel. Scatter to spread the gospel. Okay, in a, in a couple, after the, after the meeting, right? Get out of here and go glorify God in the world because of who you are. And we do it for the glory of God, to proclaim his excellencies. So who are we in Jesus? We know we're God's children. We're a temple. We're, we're a royal priesthood. What should we do with it? Grow in it. Rely on it. Appreciate it. Live it out. What an honor for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness to us in not just uh, sort of accepting us or just giving us uh, the distant treatment, but rather bringing us fully in, calling us your children, your people, new identity to see you, to glorify you in the world. Lord, this high titles we have. We pray that uh, we would trust in the Lord Jesus again or for the first time and that we would, we would see what he's done for us and that we would want to grow, that we'd want to be in your word, that, that we would rely on you and your truth in any situation that we would appreciate who you've made us to be together and that we would live this out and no matter what our culture is like, you're sovereign over that, we would be lights in the world. We'd be salt. We would glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.